Welcome to Ex Libris On Air and the stories behind the stories of today's literature and their authors. Readings for Ex Libris On Air. This is J. Douglas Barker. The book is titled Edge of a Fantasy and Other Poems, and it's written by my author who joins me from northern United States in Michigan, author Gil Signs. Welcome, sir, to the program. Oh, thank you, sir. Thank you, Jay. Very good to be here. Well, pleasure to visit with you. I noticed in uh, looking a little bit, of, uh, looking into a little of your background, this is not your first rodeo. This is not the first book you have uh, penned that is uh, poetry related. Is that uh, is that all yeah. of all of your focus has been poetry? Uh, yeah, that's just I just been uh, re- putting my poems together and making uh, collections and publishing collections like that. And and it's bilingual in that uh, your background, you are uh, fluid in Spanish. And so do all of the poems have an English and a, a Spanish uh, translation to them, or how would you describe your book? Well, this is the particular book, Edge of a Fantasy, is a bilingual book, uh, English and Spanish. But my previous books... Uh, I think I had one other one that I published, with, which was English and Spanish. But other ones were just all English. Like I have one called uh, Spaces in Between. Then another one, the, the bilingual one, was uh, the other one was uh, called Poems of Life, Poemas de la Vida. Beautiful. So, have you have you always, uh, apparently, I guess it's been for quite some time, you have been a... Um, have been a uh, uh, a poetry buff and and loved poetry. Um, yeah. Ha- have you? Uh, yeah. How long? How long has this been going on? Well, it's been kind of like my, my hobby or my sideline for many many years. Uh, I used to work for uh, the government uh, before I retired back in two thousand four, and uh, even when I was working for them at, at night, I would meet with my groups uh, that I had. Uh, at one time, I called the Lantino Poets Association, and but I've been a member of Don River Poets for a long, long time—about twenty years. That's amazing. And uh, I've been meeting with them all the time, and so it keeps me active and writing. And you're uh, going back over my old poems a lot of times, and uh, rewriting and. Just uh, working with it. Would you describe your your style as uh, maybe unique, or is it just uh, again just an expression of your creative passion that you uh, in your penning of of poetry? Yeah, it's just uh, for me. I don't really follow any particular uh, particular form. My form, my uh, forms of my poetry are just what we call free free form or freestyle. Yes, yes. Sometimes they're rhyming, and sometimes they're not rhyming. I just try to keep it uh, interesting and try to make it more lively, like, you know, sometimes. Would you call your poetry, um, um, most poets are pretty upbeat. Uh, there are some that are yeah. not so, not not as upbeat. How would you describe the, the, the style of the messages that you are penning? Uh, I would say they're probably more, more on the upbeat side and more positive. I try to try not to go too negative or pessimistic or anything. Mine are more like optimistic and more like on the cheerful side and 
Uh, just, uh, or neutral sometimes, just uh, observations of different things. You have completed 118 pages in this uh, this uh, effort and in this book. Uh, do you have any of those nearby? Is there one that particularly you are fond of that you maybe could say represents your personality and your writing style that you could share with us? Yeah, sure, yeah. Well, let me see what I can look in there. I can read the title poem, uh, Edge of a Fantasy, uh, in English here. It's a... Uh, I got English and Spanish, but well, fabulous. Edge of fantasy is really uh, kind of really tells us the story here, though. Uh, want to go ahead and uh, read it? Or? Yes, that would be great. Okay, edge of a fantasy. On the edge of a fantasy, quickly they run from reality, searching for their own unique happiness, imagining and wishing. Desiring the best of dreams, remembering the secret hopes, and all the wild planes schemes. Never knowing exactly how the story would finally unfold. Eager hearts, always loving, always yearning, wishing for their fantasy to be old. Well, that's beautiful. That's it. Beautiful. You, you, um, your style is, uh, as you mentioned, upbeat. Uh, it is... Um is it something that you engage in on a daily basis as far as writing? Do you I have some authors who and poets who, who actually push themselves to create something on a regular basis, whether it's daily or weekly, or, or is it just when the inspiration hits? Well, really, it's when the inspiration hits. And uh, I joined this group, the Downer Poets and Playwrights, and we meet like every once a month and... Uh, Together we like, have like a workshop setting, and go around the the room, and each one uh, has offers a poem that they've written or rewritten or that they want to submit for that particular uh, group and workshop, and then they go on and critique it. They, we have copies and pass out copies to everybody, and just go around the room like that. It sounds so al- it's like a almost like being in college again, right? Almost being in college or high school again, where you're you're getting uh, getting assignments. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's just uh, that's it's nice. That's what's a good, nice part about it. But it sometimes you know it gets kind of kind of repetitious and stuff. <laughs> but it was uh, it's really good. It's uh, interesting to see what people would come up with, and we have some very unique kind of poets in our group. Mm. They're really with their own unique styles, and that's interesting. Really good. Of the books you've written uh, to this date and to this release, uh, what has been the response? Have Have you uh, been able to gain any, uh, I guess, um, feedback that that yeah. is encouraging to you? Yeah, sort of, but uh, kind of poetry is kind of a exclusive kind of a what do you call a field and. Uh, a lot, of, a lot of people they like my poetry and everything, but it's not really like a uh, really accepted or uh, received a lot of times real well. But that you know, I just uh, I go along and uh, but as much as I can, I try to uh, promote it and publicize it myself. And but, you know, I do whatever I can. Beautiful. And uh, yeah, I work on it like that. Uh, do you think you're Poetry uh, is unique. Uh, obviously, as a as a, a creative guy and person, there 
I'm sure is some measure of of a desire to stand out from the crowd. Is there something about your poetry that you think will uh, put you in that category? Yeah, I think so because uh, I do. I do feel like I'm I'm sincere about it, and uh, I try to put across a message all the time. But the message that's positive and hopeful, and uh, that's on the brighter side of things. So I think that you know that's more of a something uh, that I could like selling. I guess selling point. Sure. And, and how long did it take to uh, get this collection completed? Well, this particular manuscript I was working on, this was English and Spanish. It was, uh, I, I had started working on it way back in 2010. And uh, for many years, I had uh, gone with my brothers to, to have him work on it with me, the Spanish part, because he's a Spanish, he was a Spanish high school teacher and professor, and he was really uh, well versed with Spanish. Mm. And uh, that was the Spanish part. The English part was all I had written poems that that were from my background before. And uh, so, but I just had laid the manuscript down and didn't fool around with it for years. And here lately, I just picked it up and worked on it and tried So I thought I had the idea that I should better go ahead and publish this, you know, one of the days, because it was just sort of like a manuscript staring at me. Oh, yes. And finally I did, and I, I uh, submitted to Ex Libris last, last uh, year in the fall, and then got to start the ball rolling. But I had, it took a long time, though, before to make me decide everything. Hmm. Did you, uh, have you done any public readings? I know there are some venues for poetry, not many of them, but I don't know in the Detroit or North um, or in Michigan area whether there might be something of that nature. Have you have you done any public uh, uh, recitations or, or sharing? Uh, at one time, uh, I was with the Bowen Branch Library and that group over there. We have programs of actually readings of going on. For a few years there, we did that, and then especially now with uh, Nine River Poets, we pro- we have a program every year, and it's coming up. It's coming up uh, this coming uh, next Tuesday here. That's going to be a reading. Uh, it's called like the celebration of uh, uh, what's called uh, Poetry Month, annual Poetry Month, and. Uh, we get out there and have a regular public reading. of All the poets get up there and they recite their uh, favorite poem and their, their favorite uh, famous poems. They have different readings like that. And that's, that goes on like once a year, though, we do that one. Oh, beautiful. And uh, that turns out pretty good. That's at the Down River Council for the, river, uh, for the Arts uh, down here in Down River area. And uh, that goes pretty good. I was just passing out flyers for that lately to the libraries around around the uh, area here uh, to see if we can get some interest to have people come and attend it. Beautiful. It's going to be admission, and we have a pretty pretty good group there. Hey, now, and, uh, Gil, Gil, do you have uh, have you have you developed a web page yet, or is there a place in social media that my listeners can get in contact with you or kind of keep in touch? 
I I have a couple of websites out there. One of the websites is the explanation of the book. It has Edge of Fantasy. It has actually the covers and has shows everything on the on the book. That's under my own name. It's www.gilbertsigns.com. Raven. That uh, is that right? <laughs> I think it's www.gilbertsigns.com, I think. Well, there's probably and, not many uh, not many poets or, or writers uh, with your last name. It sounds like signs, but it's spelled S-A-E-N-Z, or Z for my Canadian correct. listeners. Uh, so that's unique. Right. Uh, where, where do we get copies of Edge of a Fantasy and other poems? Okay, now that's the, you can order them from Ex Libris. Or get them from my that website www.gilbertsigns.com. Get that, uh, and then uh, or they can or they can call me if they want to, or kind of contact me. But X Libris is the one has them, and then also they're available over on uh, Amazon.com and BarnesandNoble.com. Those two websites. Beautiful. There's, they have a lot more than just one copy of my book. They have yes. Other other. Published. And do you have a fan page yet established on Facebook or other social media? Uh, I have a Facebook uh, page, but it doesn't advertise my book that much. Okay, I'm trying to get out there, but I, I have a but it's a pretty big uh, web page out there. I mean, Facebook page. Uh, Gil, I understand there's another website out there we can also access. Tell us a little of your background in history. Yeah, it's uh, it's called www.authorsden dot com slash then my name and it should show up like that fantastic i know there are people that may be curious about your involvement with the united states government uh, in technical stuff of course uh, thank you again at any rate this interview will be around for the next 40 or 50 years so they can do a search under your name that's uh, certainly an easy way to keep in touch and to find out what you're up to uh, my presumption is right. with your passion for poetry and uh, sharing your inspiration, there may be another book in the future. So, listeners, again, the title of this book is Edge of a Fantasy and Other Poems, and my guest author, Gil Sines, S-A-E-N-Z. Gil, thank you for sharing right. your story with me today, and uh, look forward to visiting with you in the future. Thank you very much, Jay. Thank you for the interview. Thank My you. pleasure for Ex Libris On Air. This is Jay Douglas Barker. Ex Libris returns after these short messages. Congratulations on getting your book published. The effort you put into your work is truly commendable. But what's next? What will happen to all the knowledge you have worked so hard to acquire to produce your book? Here at Toginet Radio, we can provide you a platform to keep your knowledge working for you through the power of podcast. The subjects our podcasts cover are as varied as the grains of sand on a beach. From life coaching, to military resources, to business success, even to the paranormal. We have a place for everyone. To get started on your next step, call Scott at 903-787-5880 or email him at Scott at toginetradio.com. That's S-C-O-T-T at T-O-G-I-N-E-T-R-A-D-I-O dot com.
Welcome back to Ex Libris. Greetings for Ex Libris on air. This is J. Douglas Barker. The book's title, Pike's Peak, America's Mountain. And the book content contains over 100 oil paintings by my author and artist, Jack Denton. Jack, welcome to the program. Thank you, sir. It is certainly good to be here. Well, this is an amazing accomplishment from my perspective. Of course, I'm just a human with very little talent. Uh, You spent Uh over six and a half years uh, compiling the contents of this book, the art that is included in it. Did you include all of the paintings that were uh, focused on Pikes Peak, or are there still others in the uh, waiting room somewhere? Yeah, there are others. I did about 120 paintings for this. And, um, of course, I have more going now, too, but uh, about 120 paintings. And then I was originally going to do 50. That sounded good, like one for each state. And I kept working and working. And then all of a sudden I started counting one day, and I had nearly 80. And so I said, you know what, I think 100 has a good, a really good sound to it. So I kept my head down, kept hauling my easel all around Pikes Peak. Wow. And... um, Went to the 100, a little bit past the 100, and then uh, trimmed it down to even 100 for the book. Uh, Your uh, vocation is as an artist, am I correct there? Is that all that you uh, focus on is artwork and uh, the creative side of life? Well, um, art artist, I've had 30 solo shows since 1974 where basically I would travel to some location or pick a theme, something something thematic, and spend about a year and a half on it, have an, have an exhibition, do that, reload, pick another theme or location, travel, go there, do whatever, do that. I did that 29 other times. Wow. I was also an art instructor for 40 years full-time. I taught high school, college, really all levels. And so I had a dual, but so it was art about 18 hours a day, either wow. uh, instructing art or doing my own art. In 2012, I, uh, I did leave Chattanooga, Tennessee, came to Colorado. I'd been out here several times on various art trips and uh, was going to do my 30th, which I thought was going to be important. I didn't know exactly how important. This really ended up being like come into the mountain moment for me mm. uh, fell in love with Pikes Peak uh, started doing my 18 month thing it's such a big deal America's Mountain is such a big deal it's so nuanced and so bold and so dynamic I assumed he was going to be 50 and then as I said it ended up being the 100 and as I got close to 100 I thought again this needs to be uh, documented in a book and then have a special exhibition which which we did at the Garden of the Gods collection uh, back in January. So, Phenomenal. art instructor by day, artist weekend and nights, and uh, so now we're at this kind of a monumental. Really, it's been over fifty years of painting, of landscape painting overall, hmm. and um, just went through this in the past recent months. Published the book, had the exhibition. Uh, completed the 100 paintings, and now I'm contemplating, do I dedicate the rest of my artistic life to Pikes Peak? There's certainly so much there. It's 
it's kind of a big deal. It so is. anyway, I'm still painting Pike's Peak now and deciding what is next. But uh, well, it's, it's so a, that's where we are. It's an incredible accomplishment what you have done with the Pike's Peak uh, project, but also Thank uh, you, sir. the fact that. I mean, I'm a creative to some degree, but I get out of, I, I wear out. I mean, I, there's sometimes that I get involved in a creative project, and after a, a, maybe a month or two of that, in fact, I've got one project that I started uh, in 2014 that I've given up on. I'm just, you know, I, I keep wanting to nuance it, to go back and, and touch it up. Does that ever sure. occur to you? Do you? When you finish a painting, do you just set aside, I'm complete, or is it uh, sometimes that urge to go back and maybe tweak the colors a little bit or <laughs> add a flower here or there? All the above, all the above. I mean, <laughs> I'll finish a painting, you know, 30 times, but I'll keep looking at it for six more weeks. I mean, typically, wow. I'll go out and start several paintings, and some of these paintings end up being a la prima. That is, one shot, a few hours, it works. It is mm. done. Others are more like just plain air painting where I will start on them and then work on them there and then get back to the studio and then do corrections. But so in a typical setting, I'll have four or five new works that I think are done or almost done or just started. So I'll have five or six out of I do have a, a large studio here uh, in the Garden of the Gods. And that helps to keep them out. So I'm looking at them. I'm, I'm going by them. I'm looking at them. I'm studying them for the next six weeks. <laughs> so at various times, they do get finally finished. But again, the finally is kind of, you know, that's, that's not scientific. It's in art. It doesn't have to be right. It just has to look right. right so yes. some of them I can walk away in one session. Not, usually not. Some of them four, five, six, ten sessions over six weeks. Some might take six months. Hmm. As that process is going on, others come in and take the place of part of the six. Some of them stay there as, you know, uh, intriguing conundrums to finish up. And so it's always there's a, there's a group of them going at various times. Art's not a science. And uh, so there is a process. Uh, typically I tell people I have... You know, there's 35 layers of paint counting to underpainting. That's not always true, but sometimes, sometimes it's, mm. it, it's even more than 35. It might not be the entire surface, but it's I want I want some luminosity. I want the painting still to be fresh. I want people to see something there that they've, even though they've seen that particular scene, maybe they haven't really quite seen something about it. Something I can leave out. Something I can exaggerate. Something I can distort something I can increase the chromatic value, uh, increase the contrast or something. So there's many good places to stop on a painting, and typically over the six weeks I can arrive at that. It's not always straightforward, though. That's incredible. It's, so it, it, it is a process. Amazing process. The back, of your, uh, back cover of your book uh, shows you in an exterior setting uh, with your easel, uh, in place, and uh, I guess going through the initial stages of of creating the artwork for perhaps this project or the book or, or another another that you might be working on. Do you always work in person? In other words, uh, do you when once you start a painting, do you take a photo of that section and bring it back to the studio to refresh uh, maybe the nuances of the color or the setting? Certainly, sometimes I do, and or sketches, and or just notations. And again, I have six acres here 
I'm looking at Pikes Peak right now as wow. we're as we're as we're talking. So <laughs> many of these have begun within my six acres. Certainly not all of them. So absolutely, when it it's out there, the big thing in Colorado is the wind. I've worked on. I think the largest one for this show that I worked totally on location was five five by four feet, about twenty square feet. Ouch! I had to chase that canvas around quite a few times. <laughs> um, so. The wind is a big, uh, not adversary, but interesting component to this dynamic of painting on location. But get back to your, your original question. Go out, sketch, often photograph, and again, you know, I'm moving trees around and literally moving mountains. These are not, you know, duplicates of what I'm seeing, but they're interpretations. So I take mm. lots of liberties. They say art is a lie that does reveal the truth, and I think there is something to that. So it has to feel right, seem right, be aesthetically pleasing. So, again, there's that process. So answer your question. Photographs can be a part of it, but it's nothing like being there in the actual atmosphere with the sounds, the smells, the the wind, and everything. So some of these photographs have no part of them or sketches. Some of these are compilations of two or three trips or whatever, one will morph into another and then erase that and come back and we're there again, but hopefully something even more layered and, and fun. So yes, painting yeah. on location, painting in the studio, especially the large ones. Some of these canvases are seven, eight feet, mm. some of the largest ones. And I did work on those on location. But the good news, I can see Pikes Peak from my studio. I actually have two studios here so I can work here on location and still be on my property or in in one of my actual studios so wow and the hundred it is a combination 116 yes. pages you have uh, again reproduced uh, in print form the artwork that was created for this project was that anything that gave yes. you concerns as far as the colors and and how they would turn out? How did you achieve ah. achieve the uh, accomplish what you you as an artist wanted to to do in this book? You mean the images? Yes, the, ima- image, in the book yes, format. Yes, yes, saying, did, or yes, I'm yes. Not sure, I understand your question. Well, I'm I'm actually concerned or not concerned, but uh, questioning whether the um, the uh, call it photography, the the actual print inside the book met your expectations. Does it look like the artwork entirely, or is uh, were there any concerns about it not uh, not really reproducing the way it should? Well, that is, I've learned too. I mean, I've helped produce, I've helped produce, I've curated 10 student art catalogs over the years, the last 10 years I taught, and I, that was always part of it. And I was, um, well, we've actually now in the first, well, not edition, but the first round of this, we went with a digital printing. Since then, this week, I'm supposed to receive a new, more traditional offset printing. Some of the images there are a little bit more pastel than the actual paintings, just a little bit maybe. So now that's already being addressed, and this next round here will be even a little sharper contrast. So it was just the printing process that we have tweaked. So now the new ones are in the offset printing. But was I happy or pleased with the images? Yes, the response has really been tremendous. They're probably a little bit... I mean, maybe even more impressionistic, but there's, they are true to the aesthetic aim of each painting. I did get to approve them. We've had to tweak a few, but so 
there's a process. It was a learning thing for me. Very happy with the book, the first and now the second round of, of uh, printing. And uh, uh, just with the images, you know, there has to be enough contrast. Contrast is the most important principle of art. Mm. If you have a contrast, then you're going to get that, that dimensional feel to it. And so the answer to your question is yes, I am very pleased with the book. Yes. Fantastic. The title of the book is Pike's Peak, America's Mountains. Or America's Mountain, excuse me. What do you want the reader to take away from this besides an appreciation for your skills and obviously the uh, artwork it portrays? What are the other elements that you feel are important uh, in sharing this? Well, I did some research or whatever, and when I uh, it's about midway through this, I realized I am not aware of another book of Pikes Peak paintings. There's photographs. There's there's a, a, a photographic books about Pikes Peak. There's journals and and other stuff, and certainly maps and that sort of thing. But so this book hopefully adds to the equation of uh, or the the story of Pikes Peak in 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 some way. It's a it's a humanity based. It's a human. It's very traditional, classical, old school. A person holding a brush out in the environment reacting to it so it's not just the image but it's my reaction to it and hopefully i've added something to the aesthetic to the humanity to the story of pikes peak i I will offer this and some i think it maybe fits into this and in doing the research for you know on each painting i have a a brief artist statement there something about the history of that location something that caught my eye that day something about the technique, something about an animal that passed by or the lack of it or something. Mm. Um, I take some gratification in that, uh, doing the research, uh, that Catherine Bates in 1913 went to Pikes Peak and came back and wrote America the Beautiful. Wow. 100 years later, almost to the day, not planned out, Jack Denton, in 2013, falls in love with Pikes Peak and does 100 paintings of Pikes Peak. Each one, an individual statement of that time and place reacting to America's mountain. Um, I found it all inspiring, somewhat daunting at times, but I think a noble endeavor and honest expression of my beauty for Pikes Peak and in some way to add to the small story, or to the story in some small way of of Pikes Peak, hopefully for the ages, that this can be appreciated. It might be a catalyst for other artists other times, too, to maybe carry on. And uh, so it's given the humanity, given a, it's an expression of one person through my eyes at America's Mountain. That's what I want them to see. And the contents are beautiful. You would describe this as a coffee table book, uh, I guess, in a traditional sense. Would that be the way to describe the size and content? Jay, that is correct. That's how I see this. It's something they can go to if the if the peak is is fogged in, snowed in, or just sharing with. Like I've had people that say they're they're going back to Australia now, or they're. They're giving it. They're sending this to their grandchild back east someplace or whatever, and just refer to it again. Pikes Peak is such a dynamic, ever-changing visual uh, kaleidoscope. Um, 
and I'm hoping people can, they'll see it and they'll look at it and say, look, that's what Jack Denton saw right there in that, just above the tree line. There mm. it goes. That's mm. it. I see it. I get it. So it's a way, if you're in Colorado Springs, for instance, you can see Pikes Peak. It's just another validation of America's Mountain and it, the aesthetic and the historical beauty and importance of Pikes Peak and its impact on our country and uh, well, it's, it's America a, really becoming America. It, it is. It, yes, it is America's mountain. It is beautiful, and the the way uh, someone I was just thinking, you know, there are many of us that uh, get tense in our everyday life. Looking at this will bring some tranquility to their mind and to their thought process. Just viewing the uh, the gorgeous artwork and the gorgeous uh, completion of this project, the title of which is Pike's Peak, America's Mountain. My author and artist with 100 oil paintings inside this uh, wonderful uh, collection is Jack Denton. Jack, my listeners need to get a copy of this. How do they do so? Uh, good question. Well, it's uh, the big rollout is about to happen. It's going to be on exlibri.com. Uh, it's going to be at Barnes & Noble. It's going to be at Amazon. Um, if you live in Colorado Springs, it's going to be here at the Trading Post and various locations in the in in the actual Garden of the Gods. Mm. But uh, so Amazon, Bards and Noble, uh, uh, also also Ex Libri, uh, you can go on there and uh, find my book. Fabulous. They can also do a search under your name, Jack Denton, just as it sounds, and especially I will be under glad the title. to autograph one and to sign and to actually send it to them. I would be more than happy to personalize. Well, that's a book for them. That's absolutely. A, that's exciting. Pikes Peak, America's Mountain, 100 oil paintings by Jack Denton. Thank you, Jack, for sharing the story of Pikes Peak and your adventure and in your interpretation of the beauty that's there in Colorado Springs. Thank you again for joining me today. Uh, Jay, it has been a pleasure. Thank you so much, Jay. Honored to visit with you for Ex Libris on Air. This is Jay Douglas Barker. Ex Libris returns after these short messages. Only once every few years does a show come along that makes you think, makes you care, makes you believe the impossible. A show featuring only the best in writing, acting, and directing. Until that show comes along, we suggest Paranoria, Texas. Thrilled to the adventures of six super-powered nerds on a never-ending quest to take over the world and to complete their collection of She-Hulk comics. Paranoria, Texas, Monday nights at 8 p.m. Central on AstronetRadio.com. Welcome back to Ex Libris. Greetings for Ex Libris On Air. This is J. Douglas Barker. The book has an intriguing title. It is Countdown to Adam Geddon. And it talks about uh, atom bombs and other things. The author joins me from near Dallas, Texas. Welcome, James Howell. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. Well, this is a, a fascinating, uh, I guess, play on words would be one way to describe your title. It is an attention getter. It deals with a very disturbing aspect of uh, history, the atom bomb. And uh, the subtitle of this is The Race to Build the First Atomic Bomber. Tell me a little of your history personally and why you became interested in this particular subject. 
Well, personally, I, I was uh, at the time of the uh, the detonation of the test about 35 miles north of uh, the test site in Socorro, New Mexico. Unfortunately, I was five years old and I slept right through it. Well, <laughs> it uh, it later on in life it really um, upset me because um, my dad woke up and you know it was bright daylight outside at 5.30 in the morning, hmm. and he jumped up out of bed and thought it was late for work. So he got about half-dressed, and uh, it was dark again. The munition blinds rattled just a little bit, and he thought that was uh, with thunder because it had been raining a little. But during my spell in the Army, I uh, was located in Colleen, Texas, where we uh, built and, and uh, maintained atomic weapons as well. So... I had um, a good bit of experience with atomic weapons, but just didn't know it until I went to the uh, National Nuclear Museum in Albuquerque in 2005 with my brother. But we observed a lot of things in the museum that I was acquainted with but had forgotten and or was never acquainted with. And uh, I decided I needed to write a book about it just to to, uh, educate myself, but... um, a lot of other people, too, had not been exposed to any of that information. Interested in writing the first book on that. There are a lot of uh, details in your book that uh, have not been previously shared. In fact, uh, that, as you mentioned, you discovered that when you visited the museum. One personal question, aside from the book itself, uh, was there any residual health problems related to that uh, set-off of the first atomic bomb and the testing in, in your area? To my best knowledge, I don't think uh, there were no people involved in the area. The, the government had uh, had evacuated all ranches, and uh, there were a few cows left, uh, I think accidentally, that uh, were exposed. To my knowledge, none of those were really in danger except that uh, their hide changed colors. Hmm. But um, to my knowledge, there was no effect of it. It was, it was very localized. Of course, it was a... A small bomb to start with. It was only right. 19 kilotons uh, compared to what we've got today. But uh, basically, the the radioactive dropout was uh, was very localized, as close as uh, Highway 380 uh, to the north, and um, that's about it. It was um, there was no consequences. Up Interesting. To it. Interesting. It was very interesting because my uh, my wife's family uh, was living in the area at the time, and they. At least my wife has suspicions uh, long-term that there might have been some kind of uh, a problem with the residents who, who uh, lived in the, in the region. You have 152 pages, uh, and you've written this book not really as a fiction, but as a, 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 an explanation of some of the activities going on, but you have included characters in this. How did you come up with this concept, and uh, how do you feel it uh, is portrayed in your book? Well, I, I wanted to uh, present the information, but I didn't want it to sound like a textbook. So I decided to make it a historical novel and created uh, several characters to uh, to go through the information. There were some conspiracies involved that, that I did not know about, but I invented a couple just for the interest of the reader. Mm. But uh, most of the information in the book is uh, is correct. Just the characters and a couple of conspiracies were my invention. Now, the book itself, the storyline, did it take more than two or three years to complete? I I think I read somewhere that it was maybe even a four-year period. Was that correct? 
No, uh, I started the book in uh, uh, right after I was at the uh, National Nuclear Museum in May of 2014. That was my second trip, and I finished the book, and it was published in September. So it took about. 90 days, 95 days. Oh, incredible, incredible. Did you, uh, are you a person that takes a lot of notes? How did you remember all of the details that are included in your book? Well, most of the information was uh, uh, strictly research. I did a lot of work on uh, the Internet and read a lot of uh, various books about the the program. But then just from personal knowledge in the past, uh, I used that as well. So. It was a fairly easy first write because uh, I was very familiar with the geography, uh, the bomb itself, and a lot of the history. The storyline, was it complicated for you as far as developing characters? Uh, How did you go about doing so? Was it just an inspirational on-the-moment thing, or did you have an outline that you worked from? Uh, It was inspiration, unfortunately. I I am not an author and writer, for sure, and... uh, uh, it was strictly a, a storyline that I started with and uh, just invented uh, the rest of it. Uh, and unfortunately, I, I didn't have any experience as a writer, but uh, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, other than um, some of the military and some of the business writing that I had done um, just out of uh, necessity. Have you always had an interest in uh, penning storylines and uh, and doing writing, becoming an author? Is this something that was in on your radar screen, if I can use that term, uh, in your past, or did it just come about because of your visit to the museum? It was basically the the result of the museum. I um, I had not done any writing in the past, and no inspiration from that. So you know, it was um, it was strictly the uh, the visit to the museum and and my interest in uh, uh, making sure that, that uh, everyone was familiar with what happened and uh, see if we can avoid it in the future. Beautiful. Well, certainly an inspirational uh, concept for sure. I, there's uh, uh, two main characters, I think. Uh, Vivian and Blake are, are two of the characters that you have outlined. Are they the, the key ingredient to, to uh, unveiling the storyline? Actually, no. It's uh, Blake and, and Nate. They're the two uh, journalists that were associated with uh, the Mountain Mail, a small uh, paper that was in Magdalena at the time. Uh, his wife, uh, well, actually, he was not even married in the first book. They got married. Uh, it was just assumed in the first book. The second book, they did uh, get married. But um, uh, Nate and Blake are the two main characters, and they're, they're itinerant uh, journalists, basically, just chasing a story. You do mention suits in here. Many of us are familiar with the the movie that had the black suits in it, uh, the dark suits. Uh, you uh, have modified them to gray suits, I think. Uh, is that the same type of character, or how would you describe those guys? Uh, actually, those guys were supposed to be military or uh, CIA-type people. Uh, of course, the CIA didn't exist at that time, but um, uh, OSS for sure, but they were military intelligence people. Was there anything that surprised you as you did your research that uh, you hadn't anticipated? Uh, a lot, yes. Uh, a lot of the research, uh, uh, as it unfolded, um, uh, showed that um, it was a lot more complicated to build the device and uh, uh, get it tested than I imagined at all. And of course, the, the residual um, of the sand being 
uh, heated to 2,300 degrees uh, Fahrenheit instantaneously, created that trinitide, which was, uh, was something new to me as well. The uh, story you mentioned has some conspiracy elements to them that uh, that you have uh, created. Did they have any factual foundation in fact, or were they all just supposition on your part? Uh, the supposition on my part. I'm, I'm sure there were some, but uh, I'm not familiar with any of them, no. There, there are no outstanding... Uh, mysteries related to that uh, that event that you are aware of that perhaps still is standing out there in uh, in mystery form. No, I, I don't think so because um, there was so much security involved, and at that time, uh, the you know the information that everybody had had available to them, uh, it was just very few people that were uh, interested in it, and they just believed everything that the government told them at the time. So. Uh, uh, to me, there were there were no conspiracies in that area anyway. Now, obviously, there were national concerns about um, uh, the Russians, as an example, and the Chinese and the Japanese too. Um, they were trying to get information about the atomic bomb, and uh, obviously, they did. Anybody in particular that you uh, felt would find this uh, treatment of this event? Uh, would be uh, especially interested in in delving into your storyline. Well, actually, uh, no. It's it's just interesting that um, that the government could uh, employ so many people and maintain security and secrecy for such a long period of time, spend so much money, and and nobody seemed to know anything about it. It's just fascinating to me that uh, there's no way that could happen today. Because they spent probably $6 billion at the time. Hmm. And uh, I don't know what that would amount to now, but it would be a lot. The, uh, the the book itself, the story, is not your only story about this event, though, correct? No. Since uh, since I published the first book, the second book was the uh, uh, same title. It's Countdown to Adam Geddon, The Race to Build the First Atomic Bomb, but it's about Europe instead. Um the first book is only in, in New Mexico. The second book is Europe, where we got quite a few of the physicists and uh, much of the material to build the bomb. And the third one is the uh, same title, um, but also the Pacific War, where we ended up uh, detonating the bomb over Hiroshima and Nagasaki to end the war. Well, as a creative guy, you had problems with titles. It sounds like they're all all the same titles. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't have any trouble with the title. No, no. problem with the title. Uh, what do you feel is uh, is going to be the legacy of this uh, particular series? Uh, is there something that maybe a moral to the story? I guess that would be an obvious moral to the story. But are there other underlying maybe themes or uh, things of interest that may uh, attract the reader? Uh, to be honest with you, I don't think uh, there will be much of an oddity. Uh, and, and, a legacy to it, I think it's just more information about what actually happened and how we let it happen, and uh, uh, should we have it, should it happen again? It's still a very con- controversial issue whether it should have been built or not. But uh, most Americans uh, uh, had no idea what was going on because of the secrecy. But 
inside the uh, uh, Trinity, not Trinity, but the uh, Manhattan Project. There were there were many of the uh, scientists that that felt like it shouldn't be built in the first place. Yes. Anything about this that sets it apart from other books that deal with this subject? I, you know, from personal standpoint, I think the uh, conversational style of the characters certainly does set it apart. Uh, anything else that you feel makes it unique? Well, I, I didn't want it to sound like a textbook. Obviously, the second thing is I want to add some humor to it. It uh, there's enough of the information that uh, um, uh, the dialogue between Nate and Blake. Uh, one of them knows something about the atomic weapon or atomic energy, and one of them does not doesn't know anything. So uh, the conversation becomes very interesting between those two. Uh, one of them uh, will say something and say, "That's crazy. That just can't be so." And, you know, they'll they'll uh, figure out some way to get that information out, and, and hopefully everybody else will understand it. Fabulous. Well, con- congratulations on completing this book. This uh, in the series countdown to. Adam Geddon, The Race to Build the First Atomic Bomb. My guest author, James Howell, who's joined me from near Dallas, Texas. James, my listeners need to get a copy of this. I think they'll enjoy the read. How do they do so? Uh, of course, they can contact uh, uh, Libris, the publisher, or it's available in uh, Amazon, Google, uh, Barnes & Noble, uh, many of the uh, smaller bookstores as well. But... Um, and they can just send me a check, and I'll get them a book, too. Well, they can send one to me, and I might even be able to do that. Yeah, that works. Absolutely. Uh, absolutely. <laughs> uh, James, you also have a website. Uh, yes, it's adamgeddon.com, A-T-O-M, com. And that's with two Ds and an on on there. Right? That's a G-E-T-T-O-N. Yeah, just like, <laughs> just like it would normally be for uh, Armageddon, two Ds. Absolutely. Thank you. The title, again, is Countdown to Adam Geddon. An interesting title, certainly attention-getting. This is a, a book that will be enjoyable to read to anyone who is, uh, has a history uh, bend to them, wants to get a little more of the history of World War II, how the events unfolded there, and the Manhattan Project. Thank you for sharing your time and for sharing the background story of this. Uh, listeners, you also can do a search from a local bookseller. They can order it in under the author's name, James Howell, H-O-W-E-L-L, and also the title, Countdown to Adam Geddon. Thank you again, James, for joining me today and sharing your story. Thank you. I appreciate it. My pleasure. For Ex Libris On Air, this is J. Douglas Barker.